You know, congratulations to DC. Um, it's a great atmosphere here in this game. And uh, both teams played their butts off, uh, especially in the first half. You know, we like to not turn the ball over, but, you know, I, I'm proud of our guys for bouncing back. Uh, second half, it was who was going to come out and, and fight and, and take it. And quite frankly, we didn't fight enough and we didn't get it. So um, we'll learn from it. And, uh, you know, we'll take that one on the chin and we'll come back and we'll, we'll get better and uh, be ready for next week. Uh, as far as the end of that game is concerned, um, you know, I take full responsibility for our guys. Um, you know, that, that's now how I coach my players. Uh, my players, um, you know, should have a better understanding of how we want to be as a team. That's not the culture. Uh, that's not the, the, the way that I've, I've told these guys I want them to be. Um, I don't know who started it, why it got started it. Obviously, clearly throughout the game, things were happening that I saw visually. And we have to find better ways to control that. So uh, on my end, uh, that, that's not who we are. And I got to fix that. So that's on me. That's on none of my players. And I'll make sure that's corrected. And, um, you know, definitely not the way we want to be from a culture standpoint. And uh, I feel bad that happened, but it is what it is. And uh, you know, we'll get better from it. NFL Insider Podcast. Here today, I uh, have Drew Wells. Then we have XFL Outsider from Twitter. Guys, say something for the folks at home, please. <laughs> I'm sure XFL Outsider has a name he might want to start with, so uh, I'll, I'll leave it to him. I don't want to give it out. I want him oh, to no? tell his home. Okay, fair enough. Well, We're saying incognito? Yeah, incognito mode, sure. Uh, yeah, so, XFL Outsider. Um, just excited to be here. Talk some XFL with you guys. Short and sweet. I like this man already. <laughs> That's the way to be. Um, outsider, how long have you been a fan of the XFL? I've seen your tweets. You have a reputable um, way of, of laying things out. I know a lot of the fans look forward to your, your information as it comes out related to the games. Uh, can you tell us just a little bit more about your fandom and how you got into just analyzing the XFL like you do? Yeah, I've been a, a football nut since I was a kid. Um, XFL, the original XFL, I was in college when that happened. So I was a fan of that. And then um, 2020, the XFL came out. I originally started my account trying to get an XFL team in Omaha. Uh, I live in Nebraska, and that, that fell through. So when the league started up, I just kind of started following it on Twitter and tweeting about it and, and writing about it. It's kind of a it's kind of a passion of mine. I love football. I'm actually a, a high school teacher and high school football coach. So this is what I do in my off season. Um, I'm pretty much football all the time. And then when it came back around this time, I just, I just jumped back on and reopened the Twitter up and it's been crazy. The, the connections we've made and the, the following that we've kind of built and just something I love. Um, and just a chance to, uh, to, to talk football, which is always great. Hey, I love it. it. Sounds like you got some good things going as well as on and off the field. I feel you on the, the football coach. Back in my previous years, I was a coach and a teacher as well. Um, so me and you can connect there, I'm sure, in many different ways. Yeah. As we get – go ahead. I was say, yeah, I uh, we do six-man football here in Nebraska, a small school, so – 
Um, kind of, I feel kind of like I identify with the XFL guys as the the underdog and the kind of outside of the box football with with our with our six man experience here. I would definitely like to hear more about that off air. That sounds fantastic. All right. Well, as we get started today, guys, we're going to talk about the news. We're going to try to keep it short and sweet. We ran way too long last week. We love talking about the XFL, but we do not want to keep everybody on here for three hours. So first up, we'll discuss the news. We'll go into last week's game summaries, and then we'll preview next week's games. We'll do the power rankings, and then we'll talk about the players of the week brought to you by AmbushSports.net. Uh, should be a good show, and uh, thank you guys for coming. All right, first up, let's start with the news. So the biggest and best drama of the week when it came to game time was the D.C. and the St. Louis Battlehawks game. Drew, could you tell us more about that? Yeah, so this was a, a knockdown drag out from the start. Uh, the score at one point didn't really uh, – show what was going on i think a one possession game actually shows you know how how close it was uh dc obviously prevailing uh i mean dc won the party with the beer snake they won the football game uh some would argue they won the brawl by virtue of stealing helmets and doing jumping jacks with them uh st louis is still going to win the uh attendance i think uh that's more of a moral victory though and I want to give a shout out to our buddy Jake, who is out sick. Outsider, you got anything for us on that game? You got anything? Uh, anything you want to share? Well, you know, I love the beer snake. I think that's something that makes the XFL unique. The the brawl I could do without kind of gives a, a black eye to the league. I saw today that they announced some fines and suspensions over that, uh, with DC having Francis Bernard and Gabe Wright both getting suspended. Bernard for two games, Wright for one. And then uh, Jared Jones Smith from St. Louis getting suspended for a game. So, and those those are some moves that are going to hurt, especially DC losing two of their their big guys on defense there. So there's there's going to be some ramifications from that. Yeah, I saw a lot of names on the fine list as well. I was curious, did you happen to see how much the guys are being fined for the altercation? I, I didn't see any figures on that. Yeah, me either. I tried to research it, couldn't really find anything. Um, I'm sure we'll find out next week though. So the the other highlight I wanted to note there was the beer snake. If you watched the game, you saw the beer snake. At one point, it connected um, the octopus beer snake, I guess. Um, not really sure what we want to call it, but it was epic. Uh, the only part I didn't like were the cups flying into the field, fans getting really rowdy. Uh, it's okay to have fun, show yourself Show show a good time, but once we start impacting the field that much, we really got to kind of stand back and, and gauge what we're doing. I'm glad the XFL let them have some fun, but let's worry about the gameplay instead of cups on the field. Yeah, just to uh, just to be the contrarian here, I I highly disagree with that. I'll tell you <laughs> why. Uh, so so yeah, here in America, you're you know everybody's focused on staying on following the law, staying within Where? the rules. Be boring, be humble, uh, to hell with all that. I said it. Uh, if you look at the biggest sport in the world, soccer, the amount of nations that do things purely to distract and troll other players, fans, and coaches 
is ridiculous. You see a lot of things being thrown on the field. You see people getting hit with water bottles, which I'm not condoning necessarily full water bottles. <laughs> but uh, if it's something benign like cups or really lemons like it was uh, three weeks ago, let them do it, man. It shows passion. It shows passion. It shows that, that they want to be there, that they really care about their team, and that they'll go as far as the team is to to support them. And I think that honestly says a lot. Uh, there is a line that you have to draw, and that has to be player safety. But anything outside of player and official safety, uh, let them have it. Let them do it. I like it. I like the opinion, and and I'm I'm agreeing with you 100% up to the the span where someone can get hurt or whatever. Uh, but yeah, DC was rocking and rolling. That game was awesome. Uh, speaking of that, as we watch the XFL this weekend, let's stay special, special pay attention to the St. Louis Battlehawks game. They're expecting, I think, upwards over around 30,000 people. It may be around 32 now. I'm not sure. You guys got anything on that? Yeah, so some of the things uh, we were seeing uh, talked about in our group chat with them uh, in Ambush Sports, excuse me, uh, was uh, like half maybe 50% of the uh, 300 level that had been opened up in St. Louis has been sold with uh, about 90 to 95% of the lower bowl full. That place is going to be rocking. That's more, that's more people than they had show up at a single game. The last time the XFL was around and we thought it was crazy then. So, uh, you know, this first weekend in St. Louis is going to be something special. Uh, it's good. We're going to see exactly how good communication is between uh, football teams and I, th- I think it's going to be something good to watch. Definitely good for ratings. Yeah, I attended the first Battlehawks game, and it was a great time. Uh, never forget it. Videos, pictures, met tons of friends. Looking back, it was a great time. Um, I'm hoping all the fans enjoy it and they can really live it up. It's going to be really good on TV, I'll tell you that. I, I can't wait to see that. All right, guys, let's move on to the Vegas and Seattle game. Uh, Watching this game, I really didn't think we were going to see anything special. Uh, As we watched, was very surprised with what we got. That game was awesome. It had a lot of great, great takes from both teams. Vegas showed up ready to play, and Seattle did not give up. Drew, you got anything to share on this game? Yeah, I mean, you saw what I saw. We, uh... Um, you and I got together, watched the game at uh, some of my family's house, house in Southeast Texas. Great people, by the way. Thanks for the invite. Yep. Excellent people, excellent food. You're more than welcome to come over anytime. Uh, but beyond that, the the Vegas and Seattle game, man, uh, probably the I'd say it's a game of the year candidate. It's got to be. Uh, there was so much passion shown on the field. It was last uh, a last minute touchdown by Josh Gordon from Ben DiNucci. We had kind of had a, a weird up and down night. You, didn't, you never really knew when he was going to pull anything together or, or throw it to the other team. Uh, I mean, scoring all over the place. Nobody expected that over to hit. I think a lot. I think most of us expected a really low scoring game out of that. But man, uh, personally, I wanted Vegas to win that game uh, just to just to see them get something because they've been so close to breaking through this whole time. And uh, that streak continues. They're just close to breaking through. So uh, they did seem to kind of figure some things out on offense. Uh, so Seattle kind of has too, but they're still kind of rocky at times as well. Uh, 
but man, what a game. Just uh, emotional. The amount of times we said, oh, we're, or, you know, got caught off guard by a really nice play or a hit. Uh, we're just off the charts. I think that's one of the more exciting football games I've seen in a while. Outsider, you got anything to share on that? How'd you how'd that game make you feel, man? Yeah. First of all, the best part was we talked about the game in Vegas and not the field. And that, I exactly. think, that was a victory for the league in itself. The field held up. It was, of course, another weather game in Vegas somehow. They had the wind blowing crazy. Uh, but I think anytime you get Ben DiNucci in a game, it's going to be exciting. Uh, maybe not always in a positive way for Seattle fans, but he, he never makes things boring. He's got the best weapons in the uh, XFL with Gordon and Pearson, and they got a running game going with Morgan Ellison there before he got hurt. Hopefully he's back because he's a heck of a lot of fun to watch. He runs angry. And um, I just thought it was an outstanding game back and forth. Hunley makes such a huge difference for Vegas. And uh, I think they're going to be competitive the whole season now, and they have a chance to uh, to win some games with him at quarterback. Yeah, Josh Gordon looked amazing, as we figured he would. Definitely NFL quality talent. Uh, he's aged a bit, but it didn't stop him from making everybody else look not too good defensively. And just a heads up today, today uh, Brett Hundley was listed as a limited participant because of his thigh. Uh, so late in the late in the game, somewhere in the third quarter, I believe, I believe it was he kind of pulled up on a on a run. It was a not a play action, but rather a, a read option he pulled it and took off running i think he got the first down on the play but he pulled up he definitely could have made more of the play if he didn't Uh, but he was obviously pretty limited with his mobility after that so hopefully he can uh you know take a little bit of time this week get healthy and really help vegas live up to their potential that we saw last week yeah i feel like the outcome of that game may have been different if he was 100 percent most of everyone watching from home could see that moment and after that it wasn't the same player uh, he looked good. He looked really good. Uh, I'm curious to see if that will stay for the season. Time will tell, but it looks good so far for Vegas. All right, guys. Next up, let's have a discussion regarding the Orlando Guardians, specifically their QB situation. Um, there's been a little bit of drama behind this team already. And right now, I really just want to discuss the story of the Quintons. We have Quentin Flowers, who was just signed. Then we have Quentin Dormady, who was dropped mysteriously and then added back. Um, You guys got any information you can fill the fans in at home? Anything you've gathered or found online about this situation? I've kind of tried to to stay away from the Quentin Dormady situation just because there's so, so many rumors and there's no no real facts yet. Like there's his stats were taken off the XFL side and put back on and you hear this and that, but uh, uh, I'm hoping for his sake that it was a misunderstanding and that it wasn't a, a case of him giving anything away and that he, uh, he bounces back because if, if those kind of things are true, that could definitely be uh, the end of his pro career. So I'm hoping that it was a misunderstanding that he's back somewhere soon. Yeah, I think uh, I, I pulled the trigger too early last week and started talking. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe Coach had, had figured things out down in Orlando, Coach Buckley. I think really the Guardians quarterback situation is they still don't have a quarterback, even, even with Quentin Flowers signing. You know, Quentin Flowers is kind of a huge question mark. Uh, he, he's coming off a 
off of recovery. I mean, he's played since then, but he's coming off of recovery of a of a really big leg injury. No doubt that he has talent, uh, but from what I've seen, he hasn't looked as dangerous as he was, uh, you know, before his injury while he was playing in college. Really, you know, I want to speculate. I like Coach Buckley. You know, I tried to kind of give him a little bit of a pass last week, but after this performance against Arlington, um, it's it's kind of hard to do that. I mean, in a way it is, because ultimately the head coach has to take responsibility for everything that happens, right? But uh, he's three games deep now, three losses deep. He's got to start making some moves if he thinks he can win at all this year. And if he if he doesn't, then I, don't know, I personally as a coach might make some moves anyway if I think it's coaching or if we need to simplify things, whatever the case may be. I don't know. <laughs> There's way too many things to make a coherent thought out of it. I think uh, <laughs> I think Jeremy's probably right. Uh, just leave it alone, let it turn into what it is, and and we'll all figure it out at the end. And either laugh about it or you know be happy when they when they pop back around. I feel like I might be. I don't know. Maybe I'm being over optimistic. I don't want a team to be bad, but I feel like Orlando kind of turned the corner this weekend. Uh, Paxton Lynch looked good. He went 19 to 31, 219. Um, the offensive line's getting better. They signed uh, Brett Boyko, who has some NFL experience, and then they traded for uh, TJ Stomont this weekend or this week from uh, DC. And I think Buckley's kind of figuring it out that that first uh, first time being a head coach, there's a lot of things that you have to learn. He went with kind of a unique uh, coordinator situation with a, an older OC who has been around football for a long time but hadn't called plays. I think they're kind of getting it figured out and I might look back in a couple of weeks and look like an idiot on this, but I think they're, uh, they're going to give Houston a game this week. And I think the, the next week against Vegas, they could finally get that first win. I really do hope they bounce back or bounce really just in a forward direction. Like you said, they had, they had some success. They, they kind of shot themselves in the foot with turnovers a bit. I think, uh, you know, that's what Arlington does, though. They make you turn the ball over. But the fact that they kept it that close with Arlington uh, really does say something about the the mindset on that team being, hey, you know, we're still around. We haven't lost yet. You know, don't count us out. With that said, I mean, uh, what I'm about to say probably doesn't make much sense to anyone after uh, how many points Houston gave up to Arlington last week. But uh, stopping Arlington's offense isn't really anything fancy. You know, they... They went to Kyle Slaughter, didn't really get much of a uh, bump in momentum or anything uh, or production from him. Uh, so really, I know I touched a little bit on Bob Stoops maybe being over the hill, so to speak, when it comes to, to football, more specifically on the offense and the defense. But I don't know. I, I guess I am kind of proud of Orlando. I've, I've given them a whole ration of hell the entire time this podcast has been going. So, uh you know, for the for the ten to nine loss, which they probably honestly should have won, I'll give them a, a silent round of applause on that. <laughs> Before we move on, um, I'm going to read an excerpt from XFOboard.com. This was uh, taken from their website. Um, Dormy status is in limbo until the league completes an investigation related to accusations of giving plays to a member of an opposing team. XFL board has previously reported how sources have indicated these accusations are completely false. 
A source close to the situation has now reported that an independent law firm has arrived in Arlington, Texas to gather all facts. When asked for more details, the league repeated the statement, the situation is under review and we will share more details regarding the findings as appropriate. With that being said, I believe we've heard the end of this situation unless some kind of legal conflict is occurring. I just want to know if uh, teams get a one-time review of personnel situations like they do in the game. Can they review this? I love it. And time will tell, I guess. <laughs> I mean, get reviewed, I think uh, player conduct should be able to be reviewed. Right. I mean, what are they what are they really investigating? Are they are they pulling the other quarterbacks and saying, hey, did he tell you this? Did he tell like I feel like that's lead a, a witness so much? Like, what are you actually going to find out unless he took a hard drive and was like, here you go. I'm a dumb dumb and, you know, gave them physical evidence. I don't know what we're getting at here. Yep, yep. I just wanted to read what I have instead of speculating. I want to share my info. I don't really make a decision regarding that personally either, but definitely interesting to know. They all lived together or they did at one point. So you could see how this could be skewed into something small. I mean, it's something big from small. So we'll see what happens, but I just wanted to mention it and see what you guys thought. Also, is there another Quentin that plays quarterback anywhere in the world? Orlando has to keep their Quentin quota, uh, like, matched. Yes, we got Quentin with an O, is who was just signed. And then our previous Quentin was with an E. Um, we, the Quintons are here, and they're real in Orlando. All right, guys, let's move on to injuries and transactions. The media folder is not updated with transactions. I don't want to chase these all over Twitter. So unless you guys have something to note, I feel like we're just going to skip past that until we can get an easy way to view all those at one time. Do you guys have any you want to note before I move to injuries? Well, they did have the the three-way trade, which was kind of unique uh, with Orlando, Arlington, and D.C. Javon, uh, Javonta Patton goes from Orlando to Arlington, wide receiver, who's actually played a little bit this year. He had three catches for 47 yards for Orlando, but they're bringing in a lot of players at, at that position, a lot of experienced vets like uh, Lance Lenore and Dan Williams. So he was kind of expendable there. Uh, TJ Storm, I talked about him earlier. He went from D.C. to Orlando. Guy who's played left tackle and right tackle, played in at TCU and Texas Tech in uh, college. And then Alex Ellis, the tight end, went from Arlington to, C, to D.C. And uh, looking at the injury report, D.C.'s top two tight ends are, both did not practice this week, or at least today. So that looked like uh, a need that was definitely needed, or a position that was needed to be filled there for D.C. No doubt, no doubt. Yeah, they've got quite a bit of injuries listed. Um, keep in mind it is Tuesday. Uh, it's still pretty early. We don't have a Thursday game this week, so I'm sure this will change a lot come Thursday. Drew, did you have any transactions you wanted to note also? Not particularly. I didn't see any really big names or, or difference makers in terms of transactions, uh, at least not from my perspective. One thing I will note, just to piggyback off of, of uh, XFL Outsider here, is uh, Ethan Wolf for the defenders, uh, one of their tight ends. Uh, he has a knee and ankle issue, and he's expected to be out a minimum of two weeks. So, uh, you know, it, picking up a tight end obviously did make sense there. So, I, d- I did see before we went on, uh, Josh Hawkins, the cornerback from Dallas, uh, put out that he did tear his ACL in the game on Sunday. So he'll be out for the rest of the season. Oh, wow. That's serious. Yeah. It's unfortunate. 
Okay, we'll cover a few injuries. Like I said, it's Tuesday and early. Since we've already talked about the D.C. defenders, um, Briley Moore tied in was out, and then Ethan Wolf, And then for the Vipers, we had four people that didn't practice. Travis Kuntz, uh, two offensive linemen, and a defensive back. Um, Arlington and St. Louis, nothing listed there yet. Seattle and San Antonio. We had four notable do not did not practice this from San Antonio. Two defensive ends, Delonte Scott and Mike Scott. I wonder if they're brothers. Um, wide receiver TJ Vasher and O lineman uh, Chidi Okeke. Is that did I say that correct, Drew? Chidi Okeke. Chidi Okeke. Gotcha. Um, next up on the Seattle Sea Dragons. Morgan Ellison did not practice because of his knee. Uh, if you watched the game the other night, you saw the occurrence that happened. Slipped up on that turf there. Wasn't too good. It looked a lot nastier than I think it was. He attempted to come back in the game, but it wasn't happening. So we hope he gets better fast because that man was really key to their offensive movement. I did see where uh, Seattle put Brandon Knox, their other running back on uh, injured reserve. And signed Darius Bradwell, who played uh, four games for the Chargers from 2020 and 2021, to give him a little depth at running back. And then as far as the the Scots, they're actually twins for San Antonio. And in every game this season, at least one of them has had a sack. So I think this was the first week they didn't, one of them didn't have two sacks. So Michael had, uh, or Mike had, Two in week one, Delonte had two in week two, and then Delonte got one more uh, last week. I bet the conversation is very interesting between the two on who's going to play better each game. Got to be some side bets going on. All right. Lastly, nothing listed for the Roughnecks on the report. Orlando Guardians has a defensive back that's limited. We won't name him because he's limited. I'm sure he'll be back before game time. Uh, That's it for the injuries that we see here. Keep in mind, we're getting this from the media folder posted by the XFL. All right, fellas, let's talk about last week's games. First off, we're going to discuss Arlington beating Orlando 10-9. Did not expect that one to go down to be a nail-biter. Guys want to fill us in? And so didn't didn't really seem to be a true nail biter uh, by the time both teams had scored their touchdowns in the fourth quarter and the, the game's final score was there. Obviously, the teams didn't know it was final yet, but Ar- uh, Arlington really stepped up and Orlando kind of tripped over themselves a little bit and sputtered out on two straight drives with the chance to to go up in the in the game. Uh, I kind of mentioned it as maybe a slap fight last week. I think that's Pretty much what happened. Uh, no real offense on either side. Well, I mean, I guess that's not fair. It was a lot of offense between the 20s. But, I mean, when you make mistakes like that on both sides of the ball for both teams, it's just going to be an ugly watch. I think a lot of people were pulling for Orlando. Uh, Arlington has a really good following, you know, nationwide as well. I don't know, it, was, it was to me. It was kind of a tough one to watch. It was similar to the to the DC and Vipers game from last or from two weeks ago, rather. Yeah, the Arlington went with Kyle Slaughter quarterback, but until they change that offense, I don't think it matters who plays quarterback. the The run game is non-existent, 
and they continue to to stick with the run game and the short passes and two runs and a short pass equal a punt almost every time. Um, if with Slaughter's arm, if they would just open up and do some vertical throws, especially with Sal Canella at tight end, I think they could do it. But um, this was an offense in St. Louis with Jonathan Hayes and Chuck Long in 2020. They ran read option with Tamu. And for some reason, they've gone away with that and just kind of a vanilla offense that I thought would open up as the season went on and hasn't. And until that happens, I don't think this offense is going to do much. I'm not a hundred percent sure what they're scared of. Honestly, they've even against Houston, they seemed like they wanted to dink and dunk people. They didn't want to go downfield. I don't know if they're compensating for what they think is a bad offensive line or if if they have trouble with blitz pickups and reading on the offensive line, there's got to be some issue with the offensive line that's affecting play calling. They're clean on the injury sheet. So that's kind of why I made reference earlier to, to you know, has the game passed Bob Stoops by. I mean, this is the same Arlington kind of that we saw the last time around, just with a worse offense. The craziest thing about the O-line is the fact they signed two all-USFL guys. They have some guys with NFL experience and they've been unable to move the ball or protect the quarterback. And I thought coming into the season, they'd have one of the better O-lines and that's proven to be not true through three weeks. Yeah. I feel like their defense is pretty good as well. I'm not sure why the ball doesn't move. I tell you what, I don't want to watch any more field goals. I keep talking about this weekly, but those games aren't the funnest as a fan. I'm sure that the Orlando fans were really wanting their team to pull this out, and it was close, so I don't know. I feel like it was entertaining for them. And the Orlando defense has really impressed me. They're, uh, they held Arlington to 64 yards against the run and even did a, a good job against San Antonio the week before, but if they can ever find a way to stop turning the ball over and stop shooting themselves in the foot with penalties, I, I think they'll they'll win games. They did a little better, but Uh, Jermaine Martin, who had a great week two, fumbled twice one time, knocked the balls, knocked out by his own lineman. And uh, one of them led directly to a score. And the other one was when they were in the Arlington red zone and prevented the score. So they can continue to to take care of that and stop turning the ball over and create some turnovers of their own. I think they'll be okay. All right, guys, let's move on to talk about the game in D.C. We discussed this a little bit earlier. St. Louis dropped the game. 34-28 34-28 in D.C. Um, anybody got some takes on that? I think my first thought on the game overall is uh, A.J. McCarron's the best quarterback in the league, and there's not much anybody can do about it. I mean, the guy's just throwing <laughs> touchdowns everywhere. He's the reason that that St. Louis scores any points to begin with. You look at the type of guy that A.J. McCarron is. He gave up pro football. like He was on a roster, not playing, gave up pro football so that his kids could watch him play. Right. You see him on a week to week basis. He's he's one of the first people interviewed at any of the St. Louis games. Uh, He's he's talking about leadership. He's talking about how they need to work together, things they can do better. And then they show the shots on the sideline and he gets heated sometimes, but he lets it out immediately calms down. It never lasts. And he's right over there hyping his guys up and talking to them, you know, in the same kind of tone that I'm talking to you guys and saying, hey, guys, you know, this is what we need to do better. This is, you know, if we just eliminate these things, we're fine. There, there's no like after they went down two scores at the beginning of the game, he's like that. That last one was on me. 
he said that on the on live microphone. He said that last one was on me. It is what it is. We can't do anything about it. All we can control is the future. That's the kind of guy that you want uh, leading a team, and it's honestly probably ha- a big portion of the reason that St. Louis is as good as they are because having a quarterback like that really flows over to the defense as well in in terms of professionalism and and uh, leadership. Yeah, I, I think McCarron has been great. Um, Hakeem Butler had a, had a breakout game, had uh, nine catches for 105 yards and a touchdown. But I think the, the biggest thing in that game uh, was Greg Williams. He keeps coming up with these schemes that, uh, as a as a Browns fan, they didn't work so well in the NFL. And he will get burned sometimes playing the way he does. But you could see at week one against Danucci, the way he kind of confused him, and he even confused McCarron a few times. Uh, St. Louis came into the game, hadn't turned the ball over all year, and uh, D.C. forced four takeovers, and that was a big part of the game. And the other thing that um, I thought was huge was uh, Jordan Ta'amu breaking out finally. He hadn't thrown for over 100 yards in a game yet and uh, had 196 yards passing. And if he can get that the passing game going with the way that they run the ball with Armstead um, and Smith, and the way he runs it and D.R. King when he comes in. And then with that defense, I think D.C. and Houston are setting up for uh, one heck of a Monday night football game here in a couple of weeks and quite possibly a rematch in the championship game. Yeah, and it seemed like so last week I touched on I think we all touched pretty heavily on D.C. being a two quarterback team or the, the way that they had been playing. And they still kind of are, but it seemed like they stepped out of that a little bit. Derek King didn't see as much time in terms of. Uh, coming in and rushing, they finally gave Tiamu a little bit more of a game plan, and he, granted, he had the cushion of a, a two-touchdown lead to begin with to help him get more comfortable, but they didn't ask too much of him, and I think that's the big uh, talking point for D.C. going into week four is can they continue to do that for Tiamu because he's one of those guys that if he gets flustered at the very start of a game, it's hard to get him back. Yeah, the, the St. Louis defensive plan against De'Ara King was outstanding. As soon as he came in, they just shut him down, and every time he was in there, they they you could tell that they planned for that, and uh, they did a great job against it. That defense has forced a lot of turnovers and uh, created a lot of sacks, but they've also given up a ton of yards and points. So I thought that, that was a great sign for how well they, they game-planned King. Yeah, uh, everything is accurate that you guys are both saying. Uh it went down to the last play in terms of energy. Seemed like both players really, or both teams really wanted it. Uh, that last sack, all hell broke loose. That caused the fight of the century in terms of XFL. Um, <laughs> and then it, it was all over from then. I mean, after that sack, but it was a great game. I love the fire. I love the passion. And that's what we want to see on TV. Not the fighting, but the energy. Anything else before we move on, guys? Okay, next up, let's talk about Seattle beating Vegas. We discussed this a little bit already also, so we can briefly discuss this. Uh, Seattle won 30-26. to That was a great game. That one did come down to the wire. Drew, fill us in a little bit about this one. So, we, yeah, we did touch on it pretty heavy earlier. I mean, uh, both teams really just started swinging for the fences. I think it was 9-9 to at halftime or something like that. And both teams came out in the second half and and really just started to light each other up. There were some big moments in the first half, but the second half, I mean, it was big play after big play after big play and going back and forth. And, uh, you know, 
it really seemed like Vegas would have a chance to win it. Disappointed that they didn't personally, like I said before, but I mean, Seattle is, I've said it all year long so far, Seattle, if they ever get that offensive line figured out, could probably win the league. So it's not surprising to me that Vegas lost. Uh, Honestly, I'm surprised they didn't lose by more, but I'm proud that they didn't lose by more, uh, you know, more so because that means we're one less bottom dweller, so to speak, uh, in the league. I don't think Vegas has been a bottom dweller uh, all along to the extent that Orlando has. They've just, they haven't got a win. They didn't put together a complete performance. I think this week was the most complete performance that they've had so far. That that Seattle defense has got talent at all three levels. They have Jim Hazlitt and Ron Zook, but they just can't seem to all get on the same page. It's kind of confusing how they can continue to give up so many points. Uh, As far as Vegas, Hundley, I think he showed why these XFL teams, if you're not running the the run and shoot or the Mike Leach offense in Houston. I think it's so valuable to have a guy who can run the ball at quarterback. Tom who showed it, Hundley showed it with his legs. And the other thing Hundley did a great job of was getting Jeff Bidette involved in the game. He had two catches for seven yards in week two, and then he came back in week three and had four for 93 and a touchdown. And the, the key to, to calling an offense is getting the ball in the hands of your playmakers. And he did a great job of getting, getting the ball in uh, Bidette's hands and making, making things happen. And Bidette was one of Ambush Sports' candidates for player of the week. Definitely a big playmaker in that Vegas game. Uh, Unfortunately, he lost out to the other big playmaker in that game uh, by the name of Josh Gordon. There can only be one. Yeah, uh, watching the game, it was clear that Seattle was having a lot of issues with their three-point conversions. They failed four of them during the game, I believe. Uh, Don't quote me on that. But it was over and over and over and over again. Uh, if they would have went for one or two, maybe they would have got it. But instead, they went for three and failed it. That would have been a big change change in the overall gameplay and points scored. Curious to see how they adjust moving forward when it comes to the conversions. Well, and there's at least one time where Danucci was calling for to go for two in the game, and June Jones just stuck to his guns and kept going for three. So. It seems like something that that he's animated about, that that's the way to go. So I don't know. uh, A guy that's been around as long as June has, I don't know if he's going to change on that. Yeah, well, I mean, so if if you're looking at the statistical breakdown uh, coming into this past week, uh, the amount of two-point – or the amount of three-point conversions that were completed – was just 10% less than the two-point conversions that that were completed. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, that was accounting for the 2020 iteration of XFL. So uh, he did the same thing with Houston, with PJ Walker and and you know Nick Hawley and all those guys as playmakers on that offense. And uh, those guys were comfortable with it. It Seattle hasn't had the real offensive line play to actually make anything of a one, two, or three point conversion. So. Personally, I can't blame him for going for three every time. If you're going to go, go big. But it was something I noted when we were watching, especially if it would have come down to losing by three or six. All right, let's move on to the last game, fellas. My favorite, Houston beat San Antonio 22-13. 
was a great game. We had a lot of offensive and defensive things going on for Houston. Drew, I'm sure you got some good things to say about this one. We were present. Yeah. Uh, first off, it was a beautiful, a beautiful uh, day out there on Sunday in in Houston, out at T, uh, TDECU Stadium. You know, you could feel it before the game. It was pretty electric. It was going to be some some high high intensity hits, some high intensity gameplay. You know, you knew turnovers were going to fly. Yeah, keeping it short and sweet. Uh, San Antonio really played their butts off. I think uh, Coach Hines Ward made a made a point to say that in the post game, and he's absolutely right. There were some very questionable offensive calls coming from San Antonio, especially notably down on that goal line stand where Houston, you know, kept Kalen Balazs out of the end zone and stopped San Antonio four straight times from within the one. Houston on their side, they've they're they sputter sometimes. It's almost like they kind of lose their way and don't know what they'll do. And they'll either they'll either start off on fire or they'll wait until the second quarter and not really have much going until then. They're very roller coastery on offense. Uh, they seem to get really conservative when they have any kind of a lead. And, you know, having lived through the less miles days of LSU, that is the most horrific thing that you can witness as a football fan is just sitting back and not even trying to score, just trying to run as much time down as possible while not doing anything crazy to turn over the ball. Don't get me wrong, that kind of play calling has its time and place, but that time and place is not in the middle of the third quarter when you're up 22-7. to Really a lot to talk about on both sides because it was a highly competitive game. It honestly shouldn't have been. Hats off to San Antonio for coming out and, and playing their tails off. Yeah, I think Wade Phillips did an incredible job building this team. They don't, they didn't have the most talent, but their talent fits their offensive and defensive scheme so well. Uh, John Trey Kirkland is just an outstanding player, just so much fun to watch. Uh, the running backs, they have depth, they have explosion at that with Borgie and Aline, the way they played this week. And even Lee, when he plays, he was, he was um, set out this week for some reason. I'm not exactly sure why on that. But the defense – is just making plays everywhere. That goal line stand was so big with the way the, I mean, San Antonio, they got two big penalties to set them up on first and goals. They didn't really earn a lot. Jack Cohn was eight of 20 for 64 yards. And that's something that that offense has to figure out. I know that Jalen Tolliver didn't play due to injury. Um, there's not a lot of guys stepping up at those wide receivers spots outside of him. So having him injured and then the tight ends didn't really have a big game and the running backs were, able to move the balls at move the ball at times but they couldn't do it at that goal line stand right when they needed to it was a good game i enjoyed it personally like drew said there was a lot of opportunity for san antonio to kind of step up we didn't see it except for a few plays here and there i will note that it seemed like kalen balage is a lot bigger of a man in person than on tv um when you actually see him <laughs> on the field he is he is quite large 6'2 230 um yeah. and he looks bigger um so in to stuff him at a goal line stand that's pretty pretty good for that defense yeah Kalen Balazs like it should be illegal to be as as ripped and as ripped as he is for his frame just a mountain of a man really and San Antonio has two of those at running back like I mean they've got size I mean, I understand the the idea of running four straight running plays, 
in the in the red zone. But man, you would think from the one yard line, a simple rub play out on the perimeter at a three wide set, you know, maybe pass on an early down and come back come back with a, a play action fake on third or fourth down. You know, something to set yourself up for success. But just lining up in a classic I formation or an ace set and running the ball straight at what is I don't think there's any question the best defensive line in the league, just not very good play calling. So I can I can understand Heinz Ward's level of of upset upsetness. We're gonna make up words now. Uh, his level of of being upset with uh, the coaching staff in, in the post game presser. And he was upset. He didn't have much to say at the end of the day. He put it on his shoulders, but you can definitely tell there was some tension between the play calling, especially on that particular drive. All right, guys, before we move on to this week's matchups, anything else we want to note or talk about related to last week um, in terms of gameplay? Uh, just a quick uh, a quick touch on uh, ratings. So most watched game on FX this week was the Battle Hawks and Defenders, averaged 665,000 views. Uh, the average margin of victory was 6.33 over the over the four games. Actually, no, that's that's league wide for the year. Is margin of victory six and a third? Uh, six of the twelve games that have been played have been decided by four points or less. Uh, we're up over one hundred forty-seven thousand total fans through week three in attendance. That number is going to jump greatly with St. Louis finally getting to the portion of their schedule that has home games. Defenders and Roughnecks are your undefeated teams going into week four. And then the the big point to me was. XFL games, every XFL game outdrew MLS, NHL, and the NFL Combine in viewers. That's impressive. And that doesn't include streaming numbers in any facet, correct? Correct. Uh, That's strictly TV viewership. And, you know, with I think that kind of reinforces the point that uh, you and I made and Jake made last week was, no, uh, there's no reason to think that the XFL is, you know, a dying league or – you know, on the downslide and never going to take hold. I think, if anything, this really shows that it will take hold. There was uh, two games, two of the four games this week were in the early to mid-teens as far as overall cable network uh, ranking for the weekend in viewership, and the other two teams were just inside the top 25. And none of the games this year, out of the 12 that we've had, have been outside of the top 25 in, in viewership for the 18 to 49 demographic. So I'm happy to hear that. I was a bit worried last week when we discussed that. So uh, I definitely, you and Jake were correct in what you said, and I'm glad that we can hold on to that going forward and knowing that the XFL is here to survive. All right, let's roll into next week's games. First up, let's discuss Houston at Orlando. That game is Saturday at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Drew, take it from here. So Houston and Orlando, I think a couple couple of factors coming into play here. Uh, Houston, this is their first road game, contrary to how St. Louis started their season uh, with three road games. Houston started with three home games. They made the most of it. Uh, You know, Orlando's starting to show a little bit of upswing in their identity and and their ability to move the ball. Uh, They moved the ball 
somewhat well against a, a very stingy Arlington defense. Uh, Houston, on the other hand, is has kind of sh- proven to be streaky in their offense's identity. Uh, they'll have a good quarter or a good half, and then the next quarter or half will be just you know sit on the ball or or try to do things. And now you're making mistakes. Uh, I would like to see Houston really just keep their their feet on the gas uh, for a whole game and see what happens. Uh, I don't see this playing out any different than the first Orlando matchup did uh, in Houston. Uh, I think it was 32 to 13 or something like that. Houston really just has too much for just about anybody not not named DC in St. Louis right now. So, you know, I'll be interested to see what the final is, but I'm pretty certain that Houston's gonna gonna take it running away. Outsider, what do you think about this game? Any big predictions? I actually think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be end up being a one-score game. I think Houston gets the job done, but like I said, Orlando's improving. Uh, they've improved their O-line a little bit more this week, um, so they're kind of getting rid of some of their le- some of their weak links. And then I think the first game, that game was on its way to becoming a closer game until the, the muffed punt there in the fourth quarter by, I think it was Eli Rogers. On the on Orlando's own ten yard line, that kind of blew that one open. I think Orlando is kind of making a comeback in that one, and I think the, the the key to the game and the key to Orlando being in this is forcing turnovers. They forced a couple turnovers in Week One against Houston. They haven't had a they haven't forced a turnover since then. So if Orlando can take care of the ball and then force a couple turnovers on Houston side, which uh, Brandon Silver's has shown that he can he'll throw some picks. If they can do that, I think Orlando keeps it close, but I think overall Houston is going to get the win, but I think it'll be within one score. And this week, guys, we're kind of uh, changing up our format with betting. Uh, so used to we did a, a whole segment on it, and it took you know a decent amount of time. Uh, for now, I think I just want to go to both of you and just get a quick uh, over or under, and then a quick yes, they cover, no, they don't. Uh, so... Houston and Orlando, the over-under is 37 and a half. Uh, we're thinking over or under on that. Go ahead, outsider. You're the guest. I'll let you go first. Oh, um, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go under on that. I think both these defenses are playing well, and I think uh, Orlando's not getting the credit they deserve on defense. I think they hold them under. I'll take the under as well. The thing about the Roughnecks is they will give the Guardians the opportunity to get the ball, I feel like, whether that be through a pick or through some dropped punts yeah and so i'm gonna take the over just because we know houston's gonna score points and i think it's a pretty well-known fact that houston's gonna give up some points as well they did the first week to orlando and and gave up even more points to arlington you know this past week they gave up two touchdowns to san antonio so i'm gonna take the over but i'm also gonna take the eight and a half point spread which houston's favorites i think houston covers what do you guys think about that I'm with you on that. I, I think Orlando, give me the points with Orlando. I think Orlando uh, can cover that. Okay. I like it. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, definitely not out of the question. All right. Moving on to our next game. Let's talk about the San Antonio Brahmas taking on the Seattle Sea Dragons. That game is Saturday at 10 p.m. Eastern Central. It, it, the thing about this, this is a late game, whether you're Eastern or Central. Um, nine o'clock central, 10 o'clock Eastern. Do we feel like we will have fans watching and people watching in person guys? Take it from here. 
I mean, I'll keep it short. I think playing in Seattle, Seattle was one of your more productive fan bases in terms of attendance last time around in the XFL. Uh, their first home game, they, di- they didn't really have it scheduled at a great time. It was the, was it not the Thursday game? I think that was the only Thursday game to this point. But middle of the week, it was it was cold and just kind of crappy weather. I don't think anybody really wanted to deal with it. Now I think they're doing that. You know, ten we complain about it over here in in God's country, in Eastern time and Central time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know the, but that's a local seven p.m. start time, so it's it's not bad for Seattle. I think they're catering a little Understood. bit more to the fans, so uh, so that you know maybe attendance will kick up a little bit. But that's that's maybe just the way that I see it. Uh, as far as who's going to win, I think San Antonio is going to win. I think San Antonio's defense is underrated. Uh, their offense, they ran into some problems with, with Houston last week, but I don't think that really tells too much of a story because basically every offense is going to have problems with, with Houston's defense, uh, especially with that offensive or that defensive line just being dynamite. You know, give me San Antonio on the road. Yeah, I'm, anytime you can get XFL after dark, I'm all over it. I think it's just going to be, uh, especially with these two teams, I think it's going to be crazy. Seattle offense is is so explosive and so good. And like I said earlier, Danucci's always going to keep it interesting with a couple turnovers. The, the big thing for me is whether that San Antonio offense can get going. Some weeks they look good. Some weeks Cohen looks like he's a, a game manager that can get things done. And then there's games like this week where he can do absolutely nothing because Houston was all over him. Um, that O-line's still a little unhealthy. So I think the Seattle defense with Hazlitt gets things going. I think Danucci has another 300-plus yard game, and I think uh, Seattle wins with by a pretty good margin. Interesting. Oh, we got the we got the separation of points here. I like it, guys. With me, uh, you know, I'm a big Brahmas fan. You've heard me on the podcast so far. I think they've got a lot to prove. But after watching that Sea Dragons game last week, I think Danucci and Josh Gordon have some chemistry rolling that's going to take them into this win next week, uh, I believe. So, Drew, do you have the spread pulled up there? Yeah, I do. So, it is looking like it is San Antonio, Seattle. That is a 40-and-a-half point over-under. Oh, oh, wow. That's interesting. I'll tell you, I'll take the over on this. Ooh. I, I think Spicy. this is going to be a hot game for the week. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think Seattle finds a way to to score a whole lot of points, and San Antonio they'll probably get at least one touchdown off a turnover. So I think the over over hits on this one as well. I think I'm going to play the under on this one just because Seattle's had a lot of trouble with dual threat quarterbacks so far. Uh, Hundley really made them uh, really kind of gave them fits uh, this this past Saturday. San Antonio, you know, Jack Cohn can run a little bit, but I mean, he has trouble beating people to the sidelines, much less upfield. Uh, I think that makes San Antonio a little bit more one-dimensional. Their pass game still really hasn't caught up. They had that one game against Orlando where they were really good, but kind of came back down to earth last week. Didn't even have a hundred yards passing. I'll take the under. I think Seattle gets their points. I think San Antonio just struggles, but, but that's strictly schematic to me i don't think that's just because seattle's a better team i really don't think seattle's a better team but in this situation with it being a road game san antonio uh, they'll probably they'll probably have some trouble um but with that said if seattle you know if danucci proves to be danucci and you know gives up a couple 
then you know the momentum could swing to San Antonio, and if momentum swings in San Antonio's way, they can show that they hang with the or they showed this week that they can hang with the best if if that happens. So, you know, don't count them out, but I, I think Seattle will probably edge it uh, with the with the under hitting. And then moving on to the spread, the spread is Seattle four and a half point favorites at home against San Antonio. So what are we doing with that? I'll take it. Okay. So you think yeah. Seattle covers? Yes, for sure. Okay. I agree. I think Seattle covers that. I, I really like San Antonio, but I think in this case, Seattle Seattle covers. I think, uh, especially with Heinz Ward being upset about play calling, uh, that could signal a change in play caller or that could signal a change in scheme in certain situations. And when you're making that big of adjustments, it's hard to go turn around and play a road game uh, just after a road game where you where you had a pretty frustrating time. So I think there's a lot to be told about this Brahma's team this weekend. But I do think that Seattle will cover. And it did. Uh, Elizondo was the OC for the Vipers, Tampa Bay Vipers in 2020. And it did take that offense a little while to get their, their footing going that time. So maybe it's just a case where he needs a little time to figure out exactly what San Antonio does well. I, I hope they I hope they do well. I hope they get this thing figured out because they have a great fan base down in San Antonio, and I'd love oh, to absolutely. have success. Yeah, shout out to our uh, our guest last week, uh, R.C. Woods, uh, with her Brahma Mamas initiative and fan club, uh, doing really great things down in San Antonio, just like the football team's trying to do. Great fans, great person, great team. I like them a lot, but after the heart that Seattle shown us uh, – I just can't I can't say they're going to pull it off this week confidently. All right, guys, let's move on to our next matchup. The Arlington Renegades are at the St. Louis Battle Hawks Battle Dome Sunday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Uh, 30,000 strong. It's going to be intense. What do we think about Arlington pulling this off? Is, is it a chance here, guys? Whoever wants to start, take it from here. They've got a better chance of winning the lottery. Sorry, I'm just really bullish about them not having an offense. Like, they, can, they can't get anything going. Houston tried to hand them the game with the turnovers on the punt returns. Uh, you know, Silver's throwing two interceptions. There were five turnovers overall for Houston in the game, and Arlington just couldn't capitalize on it and, and really punish Houston. I mean, then you look at what they did against Orlando. It's like where these guys are going backwards. I mean, it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Now they're trying to put Slaughter in there, and and you know I'll I'll kind of give Slaughter a little bit of a pass because he's only been there for about a week now, or a week and a half. Wait, maybe I should fact check fact check myself on that. Has he been on, on their roster the whole time? I believe he's been on the roster. He just hasn't started. Okay, well, either way, you're trying to make a switch in quarterback, and then you have no response from the team. You know, it's kind of you. He doesn't get a pass from me if he's been on the team the whole time. <laughs> uh, at that point, it's a Bob Stoops issue, and he made the change either too late or made the wrong decision, whatever the case may be. But now your quarterback room is all discombobulated. Uh, you don't know who who's going to provide you a spark. I mean, honestly, if I if this was like pee wee football, I'd be like, all right, we're just going to go wildcat and like take what we can get. <laughs> you know, it's that nothing seems to work for those guys. They've got great players. Uh, or what was the tight end's name? Uh, Sakinella. Sakinella, yeah, a super good player. He, I mean, he showed up against Houston, uh, had a really big game. But man, they've got weapons on that team. They just can't do anything with it. Yeah, I think it's the case of you got strength versus strength and weakness versus weakness. The 
Arlington offense versus the St. Louis defense, both are struggling so far. And then you have the, the outstanding St. Louis offense and the outstanding Arlington defense, but the Arlington secondaries going through some injury issues. They had Jamal Carter, their safety get injured two weeks ago. And then with um, Hawkins getting hurt this week, they're going to have some, some new guys in that secondary. And I think McCarron, with Hakeem Butler and Prohl and all the weapons, uh, Shepard, all those guys he has, I think they're going to be able to have a lot of success through the air. And then Brian Hill was obviously motivated um, at the end of the game last week. He got fined <laughs> a little chippy. I think he's going to come out. He runs angry anyway. I think he's going to come out and have a big game. And I think St. Louis with that crowd behind him, it's going to be loud. If they get up early, I think it could be a, a real bad day for Arlington. Yeah, that's that's kind of my fear. Like, well, not really my fear. I don't have any skin in the game. Uh, but St. Louis, I really think, is fixing to jump all over Arlington. Yeah, according to stats, Arlington has the worst pass offense in the league. And I think defensively, the Battle Hawks will be ready for this. Uh, <laughs> especially playing in the Battle Dome. It's going to be loud. It's going to be intense. And I don't know if Arlington has been in a game like this yet. It's going to be an unreal experience for both teams. Uh, hopefully, the Arlington Renegades come out ready to play. Yeah, so I think uh, it sounded like all of us kind of had the same view there. Over-under is only at 36.5, though. So how do we feel about that? That's the lowest over-under this week it is. Yep. Mm. Considering last week, I, I think the under is valid. The Battle Hawks could probably put up 24, but will the Renegades put up 8, 12, maybe? Who knows? Yeah, unless there's some turnovers, I can't see that Arlington offense getting into the, the 20 range. And so I, I think they probably the under on that one. Yeah, I think I'm, uh, man, I think I'm, I think I would take the over, but I think it's only going to hit just slightly uh, 37, 38 total points. Uh, Arlington's defense, we can't we can't deny that they're going to get some stops against St. Louis, probably force some turnovers. Uh, but like we're saying, I don't think anything's going to come over, come of it. I think it's going to be very similar to the Houston and D- and Arlington game from two weeks ago. And you know, Arlington will probably get a couple of turnovers, maybe score off a of one or two. And outside of that, St. Louis is probably going to control the game. So I'll take the over. I mean, that one's going to be close. If I if it, if I was betting with other people's money, I probably wouldn't touch it. And then we're looking at a four-point favorite uh, St. Louis Battlehawks. Yeah, I'd, I'd feel real comfortable with that. That's probably the, the most comfort I'd have. The lines have gotten a lot bigger this week. Vegas is kind of starting to figure this out, but that's probably the most comfortable I'd feel with any line this week. Yeah, I'm in agreement with that also, considering our location and the, the game being played. Yep, I feel the exact same way. I think St. Louis... Like I said, probably win by two two possessions. I'll give them the two possession kiss of death that I've been given Houston the past two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I do think that St. Louis covers the four. Uh, please, guys, listening from home, watch this game. Check it out. I guarantee you it's going to be one of the best this season. With the fans there, they're ready for their game, they're ready for the football, and you're going to see some unreal energy and excitement. I am calling this now. This game will have the most field goals kicked between both teams. I'm going I'm to go ahead and call that on the podcast. Let's say I see the Renegades attempting six field goals this game. Attempting. Doesn't mean converting. Interesting. So can we officially call your uh, your weekly 
lock for the podcast to pod lock and drop it. <laughs> Let's do it. That is the pod <laughs> lock and drop it. The field goal game of the week. <laughs> Renegades versus Battlehawks. Oh, all right, guys. Let's go on to our last matchup of the week. Vegas is at DC. That game's at 7 p.m. Eastern time. The Vipers are coming off a good, good loss. I say good because they shown they shown some heart, man. I I've got respect for them. I don't. There's no pooping standing up going this week for the Vipers. They had a good week <laughs> last week. DC as well. They've got a little bit of identity. They know what's going on. I'm excited about this game. Um, who wants to start? Outside, I'll let you go first on this one. Uh, yeah, and this one, I think uh, this is another rematch from uh, just week two. Uh, that was the monsoon game that DC won 18 to six. Um, I think since then, both the teams have improved on offense, but I feel like the the Vegas defense is kind of going the wrong way. They, they've had a little bit of injury issues, but last week they got torched by Seattle. And I think in with them going to DC to play at Audi field with the beer snake and the rally lemons and the craziness that goes on there, especially a I mean, that game was crazy last week at noon or one o'clock, I guess, in, in the East Coast. At, you give a seven o'clock start and you get those guys tailgating. I think it's going to be an outstanding uh, energy in the stadium. And uh, I just I think that Greg Williams is going to have some things ready for Brett Hundley. And I think D.C. is just kind of going to roll in this one. Yeah, I agree with that. And uh, D.C., like you said, was wild at, at noon. Uh, clearly, those fans are following the time trialed adage of you can't drink all day unless you start in the morning. Like those guys were probably all hammered before they got into the stadium. Uh, it was just wild. Uh, super loud too. I think they had 16,000 plus on hand, you know, your point about DC's defense going the wrong way. Uh, I don't know that they're falling off from, from something that they used to be. I think it's more of a situation where teams are finding out that Vic Beasley's the only one you really have to game plan for. Uh, he had a very successful week one, moderately successful week two this past week. He didn't seem to be around much, which tells me that he's been isolated on, on that defensive front. And, you know, the first three weeks, people were scared that somebody else on that defense might be, you know, making plays uh, over time. I think that's proved not to be the case for a few defenses in the league. And Vegas is one of those. So I think it's just a matter of teams adjusting once they have more film on on other teams. And I don't know. I, I really want to see Vegas do good. I don't think that D.C. is the place that they're going to do it, though. I think Vegas is going to show us something here as long as Hundley is rolling. That'd be the big question at hand is if the injury that he has is going to affect him into this week or if he's going to be healed up, ready to go. D.C. is a tough team. It's going to be a tough team to beat, too. So, it'll be a good game. I'm excited about it myself. You guys got anything to add on that before we move on? I know we haven't started the betting line, so. No, I mean, personally, I think that's really just about all that there is to talk about for that game. I think both of these teams are pretty much known entities. It's going to be interesting to me how De'Eric King gets used in this game versus Te'amu. But I don't, I don't foresee D.C. having very many problems on offense. All right, guys. That finishes our game previews. Ooh. Hold on a second there, fella. Oh, you're getting, oh, you're I getting the again, hot hand. I? I did it again. Sorry, <laughs> hey, sorry. Hey, they say when you get the hot hand, you got to run with it. That's a very Vegas thing. It's appropriate that, we, that you tried that on this. <laughs> the players of the week are calling my name, man. I know, right? 
well, we got to do the power rankings too. Like we got a whole bunch of yes, stuff. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> uh, so just real quick, we're looking at forty-one for the over/under. Ooh. So good flat round number there. Forty-one. How do we feel about that, outsider? Uh, I'm probably going to take the under on that one, uh, especially an 18-6 game last time. I know the weather was an issue, but I don't think Greg Williams lets uh, this Vegas offense score that many points. And if they can get up early, I think they, they'll just be happy to run the ball and keep it on the ground and run that clock out. And I think that's kind of what they want to do. They're not really a team that wants to get into shootouts. Okay. I'm going to take the over on this personally. I think this would be a good game with people and – teams finding their identity i think these scores are just going to keep increasing weekly yeah and that's not really even too much of a hot take that's kind of the way these things work really man 41 so that's three touchdowns a piece at seven points so we know that there's going to be some failed eh, give me the under we know there's going to be some failed conversions i think they would probably need to put seven or eight touchdowns on the board between the two of them to to hit that over so yeah, yeah, give me the under on that one. And then the line has the DC defenders favored by six at home. I like I like DC to cover on that. I'm a big big uh, DC fan. I'm really hoping for an undefeated Houston versus undefeated DC on Monday Night Football in a couple weeks. So I'm going to keep <laughs> going for Houston and DC just to get that. I saw the game got moved to uh, ESPN two. So I'm hoping for a, maybe a Manning cast or at least a Pat McAfee cast. <laughs> right, that would be epic. It'll just awesome. get, get all the eyes. It'll be that's a, a Monday night during March Madness, so there'll be no basketball being played except for the NIT, which my beloved Huskers will hopefully be in. That's kind of where we're at in basketball here is hoping for an NIT bid. So that would be if we can get both teams at five and zero going into that game. That I think that'd be huge for the league. It would definitely be huge for my birthday, which is two days after that. Uh, I live oh. in the DC area, so I will be going to that game. So ho- hopefully Houston wins. Uh, but I will be contributing to the beer snake. That's for sure. <laughs> I'll take DC to cover the spread on that as well, or the point coverage. I think they got the dub regardless of the points scored. Yeah, I think uh, I'll take DC uh, to cover as well, but I'm going to caveat that with nobody really has tape on Brett Hundley. So if Vegas turns out to just come out and have a really good night on the offensive line for some odd reason, then – uh, there could be a lot of trouble for DC. It should be a good one. I'm glad they have that one a little earlier, considering the San Antonio and Seattle game starts later Saturday. Anything else to add before we move on? <laughs> we'll <laughs> no, try this we, again. <laughs> right. I think we got it this time, though. All right, fellas. Appreciate your takes on all the games and the game summaries from the week previous. Remember, guys at home, we're speculating. We're fans. We we love the game. This is speculation. We may not get it right. We may get it right. Either way, it's it's for fun. And we and I thank these guys for coming on and sharing their expertise. Next up, we're going to slide into the power rankings. <clears throat> Drew, why don't you fill us in on the power rankings? And so, uh, so my power rankings for this week, the Roughnecks are at the top of the list still. Uh, had, a, had a little bit of a tough time with San Antonio, but we're never, I mean, outside of the, the goal line stand, weren't really in danger of, of losing the lead so much. Wasn't as dominant of a performance, but it was still dominant enough to keep them in the one spot, I think. 
Uh, DC really pretty much dominated against St. Louis for vast swaths of the game. Uh, the only thing that makes me put them second to Houston is the fact that they're still kind of feeling out the Jordan Te'amu versus Derek King and how they they you know fit together in harmony to make a good run a good offense uh, go. Uh, St. Louis comes in at third. Uh, they put up a, a good fight, tried to come back, you know, never really gave up on the road. Started off down two touchdowns. It's never a good way to start a game. But but after that, the offense started ticking. It looked really good. Really, both of these teams looked really, really good. I don't think that the amount of points scored in that game is an indictment on either defense. I think it's just when you have an emotionally charged environment like that, anything can happen. Yeah, I've got Houston, St. Louis, then D.C. And to round out my top four is uh, still San Antonio. Uh, Stan, San Antonio, Stan Antonio. I don't know who that is. <laughs> uh, San Antonio. Uh, they've been solidly average, really across the board. Uh, had a couple of standout performances. Only lost to St. Louis by that last second field goal. They went in and dominated Orlando in Orlando, uh, and then played a competitive game against Houston, where they forced some turnovers. And and honestly, in the especially in the second half, they dominated uh, a lot of the offensive. Uh, ball game so houston dc st louis and san antonio is the top four bringing up the the rear is uh seattle at number five to me really from last week the only change from here on out is i've got uh, arlington just above orlando so we're going uh houston then dc then st louis and san antonio uh seattle over las vegas uh, really, that was just a who won that game for me, and they would split uh, swap spots. And then uh, Arlington, they've only got half a team, and that's a defense. So uh, it's better than having no team. It's a good defense of that. It, it is. They are good. I mean, they've scored. They've scored probably just as many points this year. Uh, don't quote me on it, as their offense has. So I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> so. Uh, so, yeah, just one last rundown. Houston at number one, D.C. at number two, St. Louis at number three, San Antonio at four, Seattle at five, Las Vegas at six, Arlington at seven, and Orlando bringing up the back of the pack. Nice. Thank you, Drew. Um, I think I, I attest to all those, and I'm in agreement fully, especially about the Orlando piece at the end. Tell me, Drew, do you think they have a chance in moving up in the power rankings at any point in time this season? Um, you want my emotional answer or my logical answer? Let's go with your sports analyst answer. Good, because all three of those are the same. No, I don't think they have a chance. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and it's not me being, you know, rude or anything. It's just they've got so many issues that they're trying to figure out. Literally, their only chance right now is if Quentin Flowers turns out to be something just like world beating for them. Their defense played a little bit better, but they were playing against a team who fields, you know, a low, low quality offense in Arlington. Uh, their offense did put things a little bit together, but Arlington, by and large, like they put up a lot of a lot of pressures. But by virtue of blitzing almost every down, you almost have to be a bend but don't break defense. You're just hoping that your rush can get to the quarterback before the quarterback punishes you for sending that rush. Orlando doesn't have a quarterback on their roster. I think that can respond to things like that. And the better teams in the league are going to pressure the quarterback. So 
uh, no, uh, overall, uh, that paired with locker room and possibly coaching issues, that's just too much of a mess to, for me to see them figuring out. I'm cheering for them, honestly. I give them a lot of grief, but I just don't see it happening. What do you think, Outsider? Any opinions on that before we move on? I just wanted to just see what you guys thought. Yeah, I, like I said, I'm for some reason, I don't know how it happened, but I'm on the Orlando bandwagon. I might be one of the only people in the <laughs> country. So, I, like I said, I don't think they win this week, but next week again, they have Vegas in week five, and I think they have a good chance of winning that. I, I don't have a lot of faith in Las Vegas. I have an all season. So, I, th- I think they, they find a way to get maybe, well, I should say maybe finding a way to get it done. There's a lot that could happen between now and then with injuries and all that. So, it's too early to say, but I think they, they have a shot in that one. I like it, Outsider. A little bit of a different take. It's um, around the drama, the gameplay, the coaching. I really hope they're successful to shut some people up, but at the same time, it's not looking good. Not looking good at all. No, it's definitely a long shot, but I mean, if Jerry Jones thought Paxton Lynch was the guy way back in the, over Dak in the draft, who am I to say that Paxton Lynch can't get it done in the XFL? A fan who pays attention. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. All right, guys. Next, let's slide into the AmbushSports.net Players of the Week. Each week, the staff at Ambush Sports chooses two players to be the best of that week. Um, for week three's gameplay, we had Will Hill III, defensive back for the Arlington Renegades. And for offense, we had Josh Gordon, wide receiver for the Seattle Sea Dragons. Both these guys had a heck of a week. Will Hill, 10 tackles, half a sack, and one tackle for a loss. Josh Gordon, six receptions, 118 yards, and two touchdowns. Who wants to take it from here and and talk about these awesome players? I think uh, Will Hill, uh, had. there were several players that had an excellent defensive week. I think that was the, uh, if I'm not mistaken, that's the one that went to re-vote for our our Ambush Sports Player of the Week ranking, right? Yeah, he he was – I'm sorry, repeat yourself. No, uh, Will Hill is the guy who ended up winning after our defensive side player of the week uh, went to a revote, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, 10 tackles as a defensive back, I don't think anybody ever wants to see that on their defense, but uh, I think that's a testament to what to what Orlando was, was able to do, what little they were able to do against Arlington. But uh, Will Hill, 10 total tackles. I mean, he was flying around everywhere. It's like every time you turned your head, he was right next to the ball. So, huge game. Definitely some other guys that were deserving of it. But, uh, I mean, Will Hill, you can't argue with him winning it. And then uh, Josh Gordon for the Dragons. Man, like you were saying earlier, him and Danucci are starting to figure things out. The rest of the league should probably be on notice for that because once those two get it all figured out, everybody else is going to come with them probably. So I think Danucci showed that he can play at the NFL level. I think he's a very smart quarterback. I think he's just waiting on his receivers to get on the same page with him, and they're about to start doing some things. You know, Josh Gordon had that 65-yard touchdown uh, reception to win the game, essentially, with uh, I think it was 33, 35 seconds left. Really not anybody else that's, that's totally deserving of it. You know, honorable mentions, I think in our poll we had John, John Trey Kirkland, uh, who had a really big night against San Antonio. In the first half, in the second half, he kind of fell off. But still, two touchdowns, LSU repping and gritty stepping all the way. 
I will say that every chance I get. <laughs> and you did in the press box. <laughs> I sure did. Uh, so, but yeah, Josh Gordon and Will Hill, really, really two standouts this week. Uh, excellent football players and excellent games. Outsider, you got anything to share on these two guys? Yeah, I think Will Hill, like you said, is a great player and was solid in uh, XFL 2.0. With Gordon, I think the big thing is that they they found him this week. In week two, he only had two targets, and they lost to St. Louis, and I don't think that's a coincidence. He had seven targets with six receptions this week, and um, June Jones needs to find a way to get him the ball, and if they do that, he's clearly the the most talented player in the league. I mean, he's shown what he can do in the NFL and if they continue to get him the ball in the XFL, he's going to put up those kind of numbers every week. Both of those games were entertaining. I know Will Hill, he, he plays for the Renegades, but he definitely keeps their defense rolling. And Josh Gordon as well. He's the front staple guy of that Sea Dragons offense. I expect to see both of them a lot more this year, especially Josh Gordon. Guys, that's about does it for us. Do we have anything else to add before we start saying our salutations and closing out for the night? I think I'm good. What about you, Outsider? Yeah, no, I'm good. Well, I just want to say thank you, Outsider, for coming on. I hope you come back and join us again. I know Jake wasn't here this week. Uh, I believe with all four of us together, it'd be a party on here. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, But I do appreciate you coming on, man. You have a lot of great football expertise, especially when it comes to XFL. Look forward to your tweets as well as your information that you come up with and report on. Is there anything you want to say? Plug yourself. uh, Tell us your social medias. Tell the fans how to find you, basically. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's great to to be able to talk XFL. Uh, My wife gets tired of hearing me talk about it at home. My son's off in college now. So I don't get to talk to him as much as I used to. And the, the kids in my classes hear a lot of XFL talk in between the actual learning that goes on. So it's good to be able to get some of this out. Um, on Twitter, I'm <laughs> at XFL Outsider. Uh, that's pretty much the only place I'm at right now. I'm, I'm working on maybe starting a website uh, to, to put some of my view. Right now, I just have a blog that I've linked to my Twitter account. So I'm thinking about starting a website to kind of get some of my – I do preview articles each week and a power ranking and things like that. So. Um, if I do that, it'll be xfloutsider.com, but that's kind of still in the works. So hopefully in a week or two, that'll be up and running and be able to get some more of my information out. Thanks for sharing. Uh, most people that are in the XFL, especially those that are following, they know who you are. But definitely when you get your stuff going, please let us know. We'll share it. And like I said, I hope you come back on and join us. You've been a great guest. Super helpful in your knowledge. Thank you, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Drew, why don't you tell the people at home how to find you? Yep. So as always, at Ambush Sports H O U on Twitter and Houston Roughnecks dash Ambush Sports on Facebook. Thank you, Drew. We appreciate you as always as well. Great opinions, great knowledge, it, great representation of that Houston football team as well. So we appreciate you and your your expertise, man. Appreciate that. My name is Matthew Tyler. I run the XFL Insider Podcast. That is on Facebook at the name, the XFL Insider Podcast. I'm on Twitter at the Fell Insider POD. 
on YouTube. You can search me with the same name and find me. Super active in the Facebook groups, trying to be active on Twitter. Either way, I'm here for the fans. I'm here for the, the, the game. So I enjoy it. I want to say a big thank you to AmbushSports.net. Great place to look at some information regarding any of your favorite sports. Check them out. They're very active on Twitter and Facebook also. They've reported on some big things related to XFL recently, so definitely give them a follow. also want to say thank you to XFL Board. Our podcast is also hosted there. Uh, they let us use some of their website space to, to advertise and basically show us off. So we appreciate them. Check them out. There's some good conversations over there. Join the discussion boards and and keep it clean. But thank you guys. Thank Ambush Sports and XFL Board. Um, also, Drew and XFL Outsider, thank you both for coming on this week. Look forward to next week and a great games of football this weekend. Yes, sir. Look at all the excitement, man. We're going to have a lot to talk about next week. That's it for us, guys. Have a good night. Take it easy.